may be facing the difficulties of life, you're taking punches and you're not dressed for it. One knock after another, one disappointment after another, one discouragement, one frustration, one bad relationship after another. I'm going to provide information to those who have placed their faith in Christ. And as you hear this, you can be certain that these, this, these resources, this armor, this equipment so that you can face life is available to you as well. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry. And I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. We are concluding a study through Paul's letter to the churches in the, regions of, the region of Ephesus. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul makes sure we understand our life that we have in Christ. Salvation, the gospel. He makes certain that we fully understand its graces, its power to save us and to strengthen us for our walking. And in chapters 4 through 6, it's how we walk as a Christian, how we live as a Christian. Walking worthy of our calling. No longer walking like an unsaved person. Walking in light and walking in love. And Paul wants to make sure as he concludes the chapter, or the book in chapter 6, that the believers are well equipped for the walk when it gets dangerous. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Every once in a while, culture provides us with a wonderful illustration of the things that we have. When I say culture, I mean something that happens, like an event that took place in culture, provides us with a wonderful illustration for something that we have been talking about. And we've, of course, been talking about the armor of God for two weeks now, several weeks now. And I intend to actually spend one more week on it. But I'm not sure. How many of you watched the uh, NBA Finals? Okay, some of you. Anyone know what happened? I shouldn't be laughing about it. Okay. There was something that happened last night that probably shouldn't have happened in the NBA Finals. They brought out a former professional UFC fighting champion, Conor McGregor. And if you don't know anything about UFC fighting, rest assured, they can throw a punch. And they brought out the Miami Heat, brought out their mascot, and they were supposed to put on this skit for promotional material, wherein the mascot would take a punch. Conor McGregor knocked the mascot out. And they had to drag the mascot off the gym floor 
and take him to the ER. There's a real person in there who got really knocked out. It's not funny. Why are you laughing? How does that happen? Wrong enemy against the wrong equipment. I mean, that little mesh, you're dressed up as a stuffed animal. And the least padded part of you is your face so you can see. Well, one of the things that we've said throughout our study is that we need to make sure we are ready with God's resources so that when we come up against the enemy, we're dressed in the right things. We're ready in the right ways. We're prepared for the battle because our enemy is too big for us, too strong for us. And this morning, I have a I have a specific invitation, maybe to those of you who are uncertain of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a lot of things from the Bible. And the Bible is intended to to teach believers to follow God. And the Bible is intended from God to invite sinners, to draw sinners to saving faith in Jesus Christ to be delivered from their sins and become a worshiper of God. You will see that the aspects or the pieces of the armor that we arm ourselves with today are actually oriented specifically to the idea of our resource that we have in salvation. And so this morning, you may actually, as someone who has come to this worship service and met new people and seen new things, experienced new experiences, you may be facing the difficulties of life. You're taking punches, and you're not dressed for it. One knock after another, one disappointment after another, one discouragement, one frustration, one bad relationship after another. I'm going to provide information to those who have placed their faith in Christ. And as you hear this, you can be certain that these these resources, this armor, this equipment so that you can face life is available to you as well. This morning we'll discuss the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Read with me verses 16 and 17. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We'll discuss these individual pieces in just a moment, but before we do that, let's of course review. You understand just a few things regarding this passage, is that it is primarily a defensive passage. We are to be standing against the devil and the resources that God has provided. We're not supposed to foolishly run headlong into the battle thinking that we are strong enough in and of ourselves and and, and, in the the resources and self-will that we have, self-control or whatever that we have to fight the battle. We're not strong enough. It's too strong of an enemy. 
we understand another fundamental reality of this passage is that it's intended for a community. In other words, that we're an army. We're not fighting alone. We're not the lone, we're, we're not isolated in the battle. We fight alongside and, and with one another as we face an enemy that's too big and too strong for us. Because remember the nature of the enemy, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual warfare, spiritual temptation. When things are going well and then, and then you're tempted to sin or break God's law or follow your own will or your own flesh and you do something outside of what God has intended. So lust or lying or selfishness or anything that God doesn't intend and you begin to follow after that, that spiritual warfare is too big, it's too strong for you. And life itself teaches us that. The disappointments of life, the heartbreak of life, the consequences of sin is enough to teach us those realities. And so God has provided resources for us. He's provided us equipment. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And that is, of course, the primary instruction. Stand. Stand, therefore, having done all to withstand or to stand firm. And so, of course, last week we talked about the belt of truth, which, remember, keeps everything in check. It's a protective element. It cinches everything together. It protects us from what's out there. And remember, it even protects us from what's inside us. Having put on the the breastplate of righteousness, as our heart has been transformed, so our heart is now protected from sin because of the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We were in sin. Christ is righteous. Christ doesn't break the law. At the cross and through the gospel, his righteousness is given to us, and he takes our sin, and we are declared righteous. And we are ready with the the shoes of our feet. Gospel readiness, verse 15. Having your shoes of your feet, having put the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Remember, these shoes are, are cleated. They have nails in the sole so that, so that soldiers could, could dig into the ground and stand firm and not lose their footing. And so we are firmly rooted in the truth of the gospel, which brings us peace. And we are, again, reminded in the first part of verse 16 to be constantly ready in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith. And so this morning, we're just going to remind us again, um, remind ourselves again that we are to be ready in God's resources, and we'll talk about three more of the resources that he provides in the battle. First of which, of course, is in verse 16, first of which for today, the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now, I mentioned last week, and I want to remind you again, this word take up is actually the idea of following orders, as an army would take up their weapons together. Remember, I used the analogy of like the 21-gun salute, which at order, the, 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 the soldiers will raise their guns, they'll ready their guns, and they'll fire at their guns, and they do it in unison, together. And this is the idea of taking up the shield together. So it still maintains a community effect, a community aspect that we are to be together as one body, as one army standing against the world. So right off the bat, if your faith is not in Christ alone for salvation, you fight alone. Whereas the family of God 
are stronger together. So we together take up the shield of faith. Now historically, the shield was a massive piece of defensive weaponry. It was tall enough to cover the whole body when bending or standing behind it. If you're my height, you might not have to bend. It actually comes from the same Greek word as the word door because it's made similarly. It's large and rectangular, made of hardened wood and then covered in a, in a leather that's been hardened through the boiling process or the drying process. And the reason that it was covered in this kind of hardened leather is because of the enemy's arrows that were being sent. It's actually specific to, the, the, the shield is specific to the arrow. Which of, Paul, which of course Paul addresses. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. If the shield was just wooden, fire, which is the kind of dart that has, it's a, it's a dart that's been lit on fire, it'd be dipped in pitch and then lit on fire. The shield is more vulnerable, but since it's added this layer of protection, leather, and then sometimes there would be metal, they wanted to be careful with how much metal was in the shield because it was already heavy enough. But it would, the, the leather, the shield, would, would take the blows of the darts, and then they would have time to, to either take the arrow out or not worry about it and continue to fight because the leather would not burn as easily as the wood. And so the shield is specific to the attack. And of course you understand that the shield of faith, this confidence, this ongoing application of the faith of the gospel in which we stand firm, protects us as we face the difficulties of this life and the danger of the enemy. All of you are facing something today that causes you to apply faith, that causes you to apply trust in God. And if you're not trusting in God, then you have to be trusting in someone else or something else. And if you reduce what you trust down to its most honest answer, it has to be you're either trusting God or you're trusting yourself. In Psalm 120, these same arrows, an image is used for these arrows. Psalm 120, verses 3 and 4. And listen, it's actually these, these arrows are used as, as a warning against liars. So the, the poetic image is used that destruction will come on liars. And it's these kind of arrows that are warned against. Psalm 120, verse 3. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you of a deceitful tongue? a warrior's sharp arrows and glowing coals. So as we face the heat, the danger of the enemy, what causes you to withstand? If you don't have a shield, you are set up to take the blows. Look specifically at where the arrows are coming from. The fiery darts of the evil one. This is one of the more common words for Satan, or names for Satan in the New Testament. Jesus himself refers to the evil one as Satan constantly throughout the Gospels. So these are the tactics that Satan uses for piercing and destroying. It's not, it's not necessarily explicit in the text 
what the, the, the specific darts are, but I, I don't think we have to use our imagination because, because the Word provides for us enough warnings what will cause damage, what things we do need to fight against as a church and as believers attempting to follow Christ when the battle gets hard. For example, James says in chapter 2 that the tongue is a small fire that causes massive destruction. How do we guard against the evil of words, both in saying them and in, in, in receiving them, by shielding with the realities of faith? Pastorally, I think perhaps my greatest concern is division that takes place within the church. As Satan fires his darts of division into the church, are we as a church lifting our shields to be ready and withstand those darts of division? You say, well, what does the division look like? It can be a number of things. It can be heresy which, by the way, primarily the gatekeeper of heresy in the church is who? It should be your shepherds. It should be the pastors of the church. But you should know the truth well enough to know and recognize untruth, even subtle forms of untruth. Sometimes my greater concern for our congregation is not, not outright heresy, not when the line is explicitly crossed, but when the line is blurred. And this is what Paul refers to in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, where he instructs Paul, where he instructs Timothy, Paul instructs Timothy to make sure we don't get distracted by things of lesser importance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Satan desires to ruin the hearers in the congregation by sending darts of division. You understand a dart that is on fire has the opportunity to catch fire and therefore multiply its damage. This is why he says to Timothy in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker. No need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How do we keep out the fiery darts of division by the word being rightly handled? And verse 16, Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. In other words, here's what Paul is saying, be clear on the most important things and don't allow secondary matters to become matters of division and distraction within the congregation. And he uses another image that I think we should keep in mind. Verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It's like a gross infection. Division over, over secondary matters that are not important is like an infection. And then he names two people who've fallen prey to these fiery darts, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And Hymenaeus and Philetus are mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1 because they didn't hold fast to faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So what keeps us 
from making shipwreck of our faith, the shield of faith. So that within the context of the church, whether it's fiery darts of division or fiery darts of distraction, we are together lifting our shields and staying ready. And when a tempter comes or when a dart of the devil comes with untruth, we are already prepared for it. And listen to the enemy of Hymenaeus and Philetus. Listen to this. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, whom I have handed over to the evil one. Who is the enemy of your faith? The evil one. And who desires to make shipwreck of it? Satan himself. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're again warned of this evil one in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, listen, firm in your, say it, faith. What keeps you on guard from Satan himself? Faith. And so what is a prime, a primary tactic in Satan's arsenal? Go after their faith. Why? Because it takes the barrier down. It takes the shield down. Satan is foolish enough to rebel against God, but wise enough to know how to take his followers down. Go after their faith first. So my friend this morning, loved one, where's your faith? Remember I said at the outset, maybe you're fighting life with the wrong resources and you're fighting difficult with the wrong resources because you don't have faith in Christ. You have faith in yourself. You have faith in your bank account. You have faith in your relationships. You have faith in your job. What happens when all of those are gone at one time or another? Because there's enough people in here who do follow Christ who can tell you they've lost one or more of all of those things at some point in their life. So what happens when those things are gone? Where's your faith? Remember I said ultimately it's in God or it's in yourself. Even an atheist who denies the reality of faith is placing all faith in the reality that he has to be right about everyone else being wrong. Where's your faith? Because if it's not in Christ alone, you have no defense. If it's not in the glorious realities of the gospel, that in sin we're dead. Jesus himself says, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. They were dead on our trespasses and sins, but Christ took that death for us in order that we may receive new life in him. And he died that, that, that he might deliver us from the penalty of sin, death and hell and eternal separation from God, which is the worst part. And so taking the, the penalty, he, 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 he imputes his right, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to our account upon the cross. 
so that we might have eternal life and, and be regenerated by the Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Christ overcomes the grave, so the, the followers of Christ, the believers in Christ, overcome the grave. And now they are prepared to fight the difficulty of life with an, against an enemy that's too big in God's strength. And free us eternally from the presence of sin. Which is where Paul takes us next in the equipping of our armor. The shield of faith. And make sure your mind and the vulnerable member of your body, your head, is protected with verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. And this should be understood as God's gift of salvation from the penalty of sin and His saving help to protect us from the power of sin. Because you understand basic Christian understanding of sanctification, right? I am, I am positionally righteous before God. In other words, God looks at me through the intercessory work of Jesus Christ and He sees His righteous Son. But I still battle sin and flesh and temptation every day because I am being progressively sanctified in the person of Jesus Christ. I am, I am, I am, I bear His righteousness eternally and so my heart is, is saved before Him. But, but, but I battle that sin progressively and I will until our bodies are, and I will until my body is completely made new in the redemption and, and I live with him forever. And so how do I say no to sin? Well, the helmet of salvation equips us in the protection from the eternal presence and penalty of sin and the current power of sin. Isaiah 59, verse 17, and he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Psalm 140, verse 7, O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, listen, strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. And what covers our head in the day of battle? It is that salvation. Who guards you from uncertainty and worry and anger, resting your thoughts and your mind in what is certain? And there is no more certain reality in this world and in this life than if you rest in Christ, you have rest. And if you claim His finished work, He has finished it on your behalf, and it is done for you too. You need only place your hope and faith in Him. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. In the sister text to this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, but since we belong to the day, to the day, not to the night, which is befit by darkness and uncertainty, but since we belong to the day and we have certain hope that is in the light, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And in this text in 1 Thessalonians, the helmet of salvation has a future orientation, the hope of future salvation and future redemption, which equips us and readies us in our present fight against sin. 
What gives you hope for now? Your salvation. And what gives you hope eternally? Your salvation. You say, well, what does this even look like? When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. So that when the dart of guilt or the dart of insecurity or the dart of doubt or the dart of worry threatens to catch fire, so when that thought enters a mind that feels vulnerable of lust or bitterness, you ask yourself, where is your hope? And if it's in the salvation provided by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone, then that salvation which will not fail you will prepare you and equip you in battle and will not fail you on the battlefield. Now, one thing that we've seen throughout this book is that Paul constantly understands Christianity, understands the Christian faith and Christian hope with a Trinitarian aspect. In other words, he understands that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are constantly present and constant, constantly active in all aspects of our life, of our growth, of our Christian development, of who we are in Christ. And so, Paul now turns to the equipment of the Spirit. When I say the Spirit, I mean God's Spirit. And in verse 17, as we're taking up the shield of faith and our mind or our head is guarded through the reality of salvation, Paul includes the only defensive weapon in the list, and, or the only offensive lep- weapon in the list. And actually, this is the secondary offensive weapon. It is not the primary offensive weapon. Again, it's a defensive passage. The primary offensive weapon was a very long spear with a very long spearhead, spear point. This is the sword that would be kept on the waist, and the sword was to be used once the line of defense had been breached. This was, this was anywhere from a dagger of eight inches to the longest would be about 18 inches. Don't think of like a knight's broadsword, you know, like the, you know, the, the massive weapon that would be used with two hands, it's actually, it's intentionally to be used, a, a smaller weapon for stabbing and jabbing and parrying. You understand that a sword is an offensive and a defensive weapon. You can block with the sword as well as stab with the sword. And so we dawn, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. writer of Hebrews, of course, uses this terminology as well, though he doesn't use it in the same way. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Actually, the way the writer of Hebrews uses it is that it opens up the believer and shows who we are on the inside. It cuts us open and says, all right, what's in the heart? What's going on in the deepest part of who you are? So the image is the same. The application is just slightly different. But what causes us to stand in battle? What do we take up as our weapon? The Bible 
is how we fight sin. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now we'll press into this a little more next week. What we're going to do next week is we're going to take these images, we're going to take the, the armor of God, and we're going, to, we're going to really dig down deep into what it looks like for our application. Rather than just talking about what they are, we're going to see what to do with them. But this one, it, it doesn't get any more plain than this. The sword of the Spirit, ready to be pulled out to defense, which is the Word of God. And specifically, again, we'll talk about more of this next week, but specifically, uh, there are certain historical authors, certain older authors that make sure that we understand the role of the Spirit is to be understood as the illuminating role. So making sure we're fighting script or fighting sin with Scripture with right interpretation, rightly understanding the Bible, because if you don't understand the Bible the right way, you'll apply it to the wrong scenario. Therefore, you won't be as ready. So as the Spirit is impressing us with the Word, as is teaching us the Word, isn't it amazing that this is happening? I mean, seriously, I just want to stop for a moment. Isn't it amazing that this is happening in real time right now? You understand that this is the Word of God. This is divine truth given to human mind. This is the, the communication of the infinite to the finite. This is the, this is the matchless wisdom of God written in love to people who have such limited brains and understanding in relation to God. And the Holy Spirit is saying, as divine word is being communicated, the Holy Spirit is saying in your mind and heart, here's what this means. Here's what this means. Here's what this means. Shouldn't you be working on this? I reminded you about this recently. It's happening in real time because that's what the Bible does. The sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And so when we are tempted to sin, how do we face it? I mentioned Psalm 119 last week. How does a young man keep his way, or two weeks ago I think, I don't remember. I mentioned Psalm 119. How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. Psalm 119 verse 11. How does the young man, that's the next verse, keep or guard it with the word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. How does he guard it according to the word? By knowing the word. By having it ready in the heart. And of course, as we consider the scriptures, there is no greater instruction than to look to Christ. And you had it read for you earlier. Israel fails to go through the wilderness in obedience. They go through griping. I'm talking the Exodus. In Israel, the people, or the people of God. The Exodus, as they come out of Egypt, the Israelites, they come out griping, they come out complaining, they come out discontented. 
They don't pass the test of the wilderness. In fact, the first generations don't even get there because of their sin and rebellion. Moses himself doesn't because of his sin and rebellion. But we need a true and better Moses. And so God's son is going to pass through the wilderness. And he's going to go out in the wilderness to be tempted. And he's been fasting for 40 days. And he's human. And flesh. And blood. And he's hungry. And he's thirsty. And he's parched and scorched by the desert sun. And Satan arrives. And he says, why don't you just take up one of those rocks and make it to bread? And why don't you eat? And what does Jesus say? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan says, all right, let's try this. Why don't you go with me to this mountaintop where you can see the pinnacle of the temple? And since your life is all about glory, why don't you just jump off? And the angels will come and they'll rescue you. And the people of Israel will be in awe. And what does Jesus say? Psalm 91. And then Satan takes them up to the highest mountaintop. We don't even know where they are at this point. He says, look at the glory of the earth. All of this I can give to you. Which is the most ironic statement. I mean, it belongs to Jesus anyway. Jesus reigns it. There is not one square inch over the created universe over which the risen Lord cries, Mine, and I rule it. It's all His. And what's Jesus say? It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And Jesus, better than Moses, passes through the wilderness, righteous, And what is his weapon in warfare? The Bible. So loved one, if Jesus did it, so should you. I'm not being oversimplistic. There are a lot of theological things going on in that passage and the temptation of Christ and whatever you think about. There's a lot of theological things, but, but, but Jesus provides this model for how the people of God respond in human weakness and spiritual temptation. So tomorrow... When you're tired and that visual comes to your mind and you go, I kind of want to go look at that website. 
or when the kids are just saying every single one of those words that they know or they don't know will just get you going. Or when you think of that person who hurts you in that way and you are so tempted to cry out in anger towards them, to hate them, what do you do? So you want to click and you think of Job. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How can I lust upon a young woman? And the kids are tempting you and you're, you're pushing the buttons and rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. And you think of that person and you're so angry with them and then you think of the words of Jesus Christ. For if you do not Forgive your brothers and sisters their trespasses. Neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. Because the word of God is sufficient to conquer human and spiritual struggle. So are you ready in God's resources? Guarded with the shield of faith. Even when your faith seems shaken, you, you keep it held up and the brother and sister comes and they help your arm up just a little bit and so you're standing in unison, guarded by the shield of faith, protected by the shield of faith against the, the darts of the evil one, the temptations of Satan. When your mind is tempted to sin or to worry or, or fear, you consider what great salvation there is in Christ and the, the confidence that you have in him and your mind is guarded through the helmet of salvation. And when you feel the weakness, spiritual and human weakness that is in you, that is not in the Word of God, the Word of God is sufficient to equip you to fight with the sword of the Spirit. But I remind you that none of these resources are available to you unless you follow the captain who has conquered Jesus Christ himself. And my friend, if you have questions about how you can follow Jesus, he who has won the battle and can equip you and help you as you fight your own, behold, today is the day of salvation. Do not leave until you've found someone to have that conversation with you. Will you pray with me?